she arrives at the hospital and she's taken up to a ward. She walks into the ward and she sees children walking around with no hair, holding drip stands. And she looks at them and she thinks, oh, these people are dying. What am I doing here? I'm not dying. And it slowly dawns on her that actually she's probably got the same as they've got. And at that point, we're all just devastated. We all just think, why has no one prepared us for this experience? Welcome to Wisdom Shared, where parents and kids are the experts and connection inspires change. I am your host, Carol Blueweiss. Today, I have as my special guest, Dom Raban, Izzy's dad and Exploro co-founder. Exploro is an app that was inspired by Izzy's hospital experience when she was 13 and diagnosed with a type of cancer called Ewing sarcoma. She is now in her 20s and cancer-free, but it was her difficult experience in the hospital that sparked Dom's imagination. During the cancer care journey, Dom and Issy noticed that there was hardly any information being shared with Issy, both while she was being tested for a diagnosis or before her treatments. Issy and Dom felt strongly that children who are entering a hospital deserve to be empowered by receiving age-appropriate information before they arrive in the hospital. That is why Dom's company developed the child-centered app Exploro, to help kids know exactly what will happen before during, and after a hospital procedure. To make sure that it was geared accurately for children, Dom created an expert advisory board made up of 12 9 to 17-year-olds. The kids use this app on their own phone or iPad to seek out answers to their questions and to explore. For example, they can take a tour of the hospital or check out the ultrasound machine or the CT scanner all in augmented reality. It's like being inside a movie. The kids can express themselves in different ways using their mood diaries, and that way parents and the healthcare team can be aware of how the child is feeling at any given moment. The kids who will be getting IVs can also see how they will be connected to an IV machine step-by-step, step, and they can ask the avatar questions. And when the child types in their questions, Exploro is able to decipher the wildest of misspellings. The kids can even visit operating rooms where they may be receiving their surgery. And who wouldn't want to know more about an MRI machine way before being slid into the dark donut-shaped cylinder? I can't imagine what it would feel like for a child hearing that clanking sound for the first time while a stranger stands there telling them that they shouldn't move or else they'll have to do it all over again. I remember being shocked and feeling anxiety when I had my first MRI and was given these strict instructions. Imagine if kids could listen to those MRI sounds before the appointment and if they could see the inside of the machine on their phone in 3D and ask questions to the virtual technicians who they can dress up and assign a name to. Dom is the chair of Corporation Pop, a creative and digital agency that specializes in mobile app development and emerging technologies. He's been creating stuff for nearly 40 years, 
from punk fanzines in the late 70s to content for new media platforms now. Dom lives in the UK, but he is marketing and coordinating research projects all over the world. The research has already shown that if you provide patients with information prior to treatment, you not only reduce their stress and anxiety, but you improve their clinical outcomes. Let's listen to Dom tell us about this innovative idea and how ISSI inspired him and his team. My daughter was going through her 15th round of chemotherapy. She was feeling pretty rough. And someone came over with this experience measure, which is designed to gather feedback from patients on the experience they've had. And the question was, how likely are you to recommend this service to your friends and family? Now, picture a a 13-year-old girl who's feeling really poorly. She's hating being in the environment. And I can't say what she wrote on the form because it's unrepeatable, but it certainly wouldn't have been of much use to the surveyors. It was a very, not only a very blunt-edged sword in terms of a piece of research from the health authority, but highly inappropriate in terms of the way the question was asked as well. Maybe the people that making the questions need to think a little bit more about who's reading them and Yeah, I think they need to think a bit more about the questions. When they're designing those questionnaires, they need to do what we're doing, which is design them iteratively with children so that they get the language right. And you also need to be very mindful of when you ask those questions. Asking someone to give a favorable review of a hospital when they're undergoing chemotherapy, you're never going to get a very positive response. So it's just insensitive. And overall, I get the impression that you say, and your daughter now, let's say many years, cancer-free, and she's thriving. And Ten years, yeah. She's in her 20s. So what I wanted to make known is your impression that the medical care that she received was great, and you're not criticizing the medical Absolutely. I mean, she had great clinical care. And the reason she's 10 years cancer-free is because that clinical care was excellent. But what was missing was that information piece. Let's go back in time. For our listeners who may be in the midst of having heard that their child has been diagnosed with something, in the vein of just them learning from your experience, what was helpful? And the things that weren't helpful, how did you manage that? in terms of your response to when you got the diagnosis, how you were treated, what you can think of that might help parents that are now going through that? What are some of your learning moments? I think, and I've heard this from so many parents, and I don't have any great pearls of wisdom here because we didn't deal with it very well, and most parents don't deal with it very well. You're going through a very traumatic process. I think the thing that we learn is whatever you do, don't Google because it's unfiltered information. The very first thing that Izzy found on Google and we found on Google at pretty much the same time was that she had a, according to this piece we found, she had a 20% chance of living. That's not great. That's not great information to find. So I think never rely on Google information, tempting as it is. So that was definitely a takeaway. I can't think of any great coping strategies that we had. 
I think when you're going through something like that, you're very much living from one moment to the next and not thinking too much about the future because the future is so uncertain. You don't know what the next scam result is going to bring or... Um, so it's you're very much kind of living in the moment. I appreciate your honesty. It helps people feel less alone when they just hear that you were one hot mess, you know? Um, yeah. I would like my listeners to hear the story of, of how it all began. As horrific as the diagnosis was, the silver lining was that it was caught early. And I think that's part of the story. Yeah, so over 2011... And my daughter had just achieved her first rising trot in her horse riding lessons. And the next day, she was in complete agony. We couldn't understand what was going on. She was just finding it really, really difficult to sit down. We actually sent her to school that day, which to this day I really regret, but we sent her to school. And she came home. She was still in intense pain. So we took her to our GP. Their diagnosis, if you like, was that she had growing pains and she was sent home. Uh, I think we gave her some mild over-the-counter painkillers, which didn't really have any effect at all. And the pain just continued. And so we took her back to see a different GP this time who took her pain much more seriously and referred us to the local hospital. So we went up to the hospital via the ER and she was eventually seen by a doctor who uh, had an idea as to what it might be and she was admitted onto a ward. And he was kept on the ward overnight because they didn't have an MRI scanner available and they wanted to do an MRI scan so that they could see what was going on. So the next day, she spent the whole day on the ward in agony and then eventually at about four o'clock the following day they took her down for an MRI scan brought her back up and then a couple of hours later the doctors invited my wife and I not my daughter into a consulting room and they showed us the scan and I'm a designer I've never seen an MRI scan before neither of my wife so we look at this MRI scan and we don't know what's normal what's abnormal And the doctors say, we need to get a second opinion. We need to refer her to the local specialist centre. They didn't mention the word cancer at all at this point. Of course, now I realise what we were looking at was a tumour. But they didn't tell us what their theory was that she had a a tumour. But they didn't tell us any of that. Uh, They said, you're going to have to wait until a bed becomes available at the local specialist centre. Do you think the right thing to do for you would have been to get more information at that point? or? Or not necessarily? Not necessarily at that point, but I'll I'll go on and talk about the point at which we realised that Izzy had cancer because that was completely inappropriate. The significance of the rising trot, of course, now with hindsight, is that what the rising trot had done was it had disturbed all of the nerves around the tumour site uh, and that had caused the intense pain. And had she not achieved that rising trot then maybe it would have gone on for some weeks before we identified a problem and then it might have been too late. Can you just explain what is a rising trot? It's when you effectively sit up and bounce up and down on the saddle. Now if there's any 
people who ride horses listening to this, they will be screaming <laughs> at their devices now saying, no, it's not that at all. I don't know anything <laughs> about horse riding either, but it's basically from a, a, a layman's perspective, it's bouncing up and down on the saddle. It was that action uh, that agitated the nerve endings and created the pain in a way that was what raised the alarm. But coming back to the journey in the hospital, at this point, we're in a, our local regional hospital it's just the children's ward within a general hospital. Izzy's waiting for a bed to become available at this local specialist centre. Uh, and the pain is getting worse and worse and worse. So they put Izzy on a morphine drip. And every day we kept expecting her to be transferred to the local specialist centre, which is in Manchester, about 30 miles away from where, where Izzy was. And the days went by. Eventually, I think it was two weeks later, during which time we have no information at all, no mention of the C word, no mention of any kind of prognosis. And we're just thinking, what? What is going on? Our daughter's, despite the morphine, she's in more and more pain. And then the news comes through that says a bed's become available at Royal Manchester. She's transferred by ambulance to the hospital. And she arrives at the hospital and she's taken up to a ward. No one said it's an oncology ward. She's taken up to the ward. She walks into the ward and she sees children walking around with no hair, holding drip stands. And she's never seen anything like that before. And she looks at them and she thinks, these people are dying. What am I doing here? I'm not dying. And it slowly dawns on her that actually she's probably got the same as they've got. And at that point, we're all just devastated. We all just think, why has no one prepared us? For this experience. I know that's a particularly bad experience. I'm not saying that is the typical journey. I think there were a set of circumstances that led to us not being properly informed about what was going to happen. But that was terrible. And that was a really bad starting point for her course of treatment. It left her with no faith in the medical services. And actually, I think faith, and I don't mean that in a religious sense, but faith in the service providers is really, really, really important. And the idea that you're working together for, towards a cure really helps get to that point of being better. And I think because my daughter started on such a bad footing, it actually worked against her treatment. And that was just an awful, awful experience for all of us, but particularly for, for my daughter. And your daughter has a brother, or you have a son. Tell us a little bit about your family unit. My daughter's brother, Oscar, is quite close in age to Izzy. He's 18 months younger. Now, his needs throughout the course of that year of treatment were largely ignored. So he's 11 at the time, and an 11-year-old boy as any parent will know, needs lots of support and lots of attention. And we were unable to give that support and attention because for very obvious reasons, our focus was on our sick daughter. And as a consequence of that, I've become 
really interested in the psychosocial needs of siblings of children going through treatment for serious illnesses. And in fact, we're thinking very seriously about how we expand the Explorer platform to cater not just for the needs of the sick child, but for the needs of the brothers and sisters of the sick child as well. That's brilliant too, because again, it sounds so logical to acknowledge that the siblings not paid attention to. There's plenty of research to show that they experience a whole range of emotions from fear, guilt, anxiety, that are every bit as damaging as the emotions that the sick child is going through. Whilst the information provision for sick children may be poor, information provision for the brothers and sisters of sick children is virtually non-existent. And who's to say that the parents are in a position to explain it to them, if, if the parents even understand it themselves? Yeah, yeah. What strikes me, too, what you said about not Googling, is that that's another advantage of having something at your disposal that, what do you say, certified or, that's not the right word, by the hospital. Validated or... Validated. Yeah. So that if you have the app and that all the information on that app, like you could almost feel like you're Googling, but it's all been controlled by doctors. And just knowing that is is a huge advantage as well, right? To, to just to have less wrong information and you, you can trust what you're reading. Yeah. Yeah, it's really important. I wonder, where did you get that sense that it was important to include the children, you actually even have an advisory board of children. Tell us a little bit about your philosophy. Part of that philosophy comes from my professional experience. I've spent 30 years as a designer and central to my design thinking approach, always putting myself in the shoes of the end user. But in terms of how the major factor that's influenced that in terms of Explorer was just watching my daughter's experience as she went through the healthcare process. That makes a lot of sense. That way of looking at new either technology or just designing ideas or creating new, better environments for people that it just seems like in our world, as logical as that sounds, and you make it sound so, of course, but a lot of what is designed in this world does not ask the people that they're designing for their opinions. That's so true. Uh, and unfortunately, I'd go as far as to say the majority of what is designed is designed from a designer or commissioner first perspective. Is that a thing? Is that like an expression? I, I just made it up. <laughs> 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 but no, I think it is. I think it's, unfortunately, it's unusual, I think, to, to make the end users a, an integral part of the design process. Yeah. One word to describe that is inclusivity, right? Yeah. To, on a, on a yeah. broad, broad yeah. way. A lot of people pay lip service to that, but it's not fundamental to their approach. It just seems so logical. would lead to so much more success if you yeah, know, absolutely. If, you can, if you can actually put yourself in someone else's shoes. And how can you do that best than by asking the people who have the shoes? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, totally. How does somebody like you do this? How do you how do you figure this out? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your process. It always starts with 
identifying user needs and users in this context, the child patients. To identify user needs, you have to talk to children. It starts with that conversation with children. What what do you want? What engages you? I've just come back from a trip to the States where we were beginning the process of developing a new game that will sit within Explorer. And, and we spent three days interviewing patients, interviewing uh, clinical staff, interviewing parents to understand what their emotional state was through a particular treatment pathway and what their pain points were, getting ideas around what they thought might relieve them in that process. We were actually at the sedation pathway. Uh, so that's how we start, is, is a very detailed research phase. And then it's uh, what we call an ideation phase. So that's where my team of designers and developers get together and we assimilate all of this research and start thinking about how we could produce something that might respond to some of those needs that we've identified. And then that results in perhaps a storyboard, perhaps a mood board even. And then we take that back to the end users, the child patients. And we say, what do you think of this? Uh, and they give us feedback and we go back, literally back to the drawing board and take on board that feedback and we refine those ideas. And that's an iterative process, always involving children at every step of the way. We've got essentially a design proposal that we're happy with as content creators, but that the end users are happy with in terms of uh, feeling like we've proposed something that's going to be engaging and informative. And then at that point, that's when we hand over to the developers who write the code, who build the thing. And again, we'll test that as we go through. So we'll start with a, a quite a basic prototype that children can play with. And very often they'll identify things that aren't working as planned or things that we thought looked good on paper, but actually when you build them as an interactive piece, don't work so well. So we modify it and that goes on for as long as it takes for us to get to the finished product. So for example, you talked about the interactive environments in our application, we've got an OR an operating room that you can explore and find out what goes on in the operating room. We were very lucky in that we have a very close relationship with a hospital here in the UK and they let us get gowned up and go in and watch an operation. So in that sense, we were walking in the shoes of the physicians at that point so that we could understand what that looks like from their perspective. And it's that level of engagement that enables us to build a product that has the beneficial effect that it does. Let's listen in on Dom's Zoom call where he demonstrates Exploro. The first thing we're going to do is customize the avatar to make it our own. So if I tap customize my look, so I'll change the skin color, I'll maybe put some glasses on and some hair, and some clothes. And if you see the plus button down on the bottom left-hand side of the screen there, if I tap that, I can add some other things. I can have my avatar in a wheelchair. Uh, I can wear a face mask if I want. The next thing we're going to do is give the avatar a name. Let's go with Flash. Flash Trendy Bird. There we go. There's Flash. And if I tap the forward arrow, it now says it's time for me to enter your world. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pick up the iPad and when I press the forward arrow, you'll see that my 
camera's been activated, and in a second, a balloon is going to appear. And when that balloon turns green, I'm going to tap it, and there's Flash stood on my desk. And this is just about making the avatar feel real to the child, and I can make it bigger. That's so cool. I'm going to tap the green balloon now. So we've gone through the setup, and we're into the main body of the application. And just before we go on, and I talk to you... He's dancing. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to talk you through a couple of features here on the home screen. So as I go through the demo, whenever you see that red balloon top right, that means that you can see something in augmented reality. So if I tap it now, then Flash is going to walk out through the door into the real world, and I'll bring him back by tapping the balloon again, and he'll come back in. It's going to be interesting, the research that you're doing, of course, you have to sell it to the hospital. And there's this evidence that they need to see that it will be profitable in one way or another. So you have to have outcomes. So you have to find a way to prove it, that this is going to benefit the hospital as well as the families. So how do you go about showing the hospitals that this is something yeah, so that they want to the very first thing buy? we did was uh, a piece of research that's published in the Journal of Medical Internet Research. And that was conducted with... 80 children within a hospital setting. 40 of those children had access to standard healthcare information, so whatever was available in the hospital. And the other 40 had access to Explorer. And what the research team found was that those children with access to Explorer demonstrated a statistically significant reduction in procedural anxiety as well as statistically significant increases in both patient satisfaction and knowledge about procedures. So that was great, a really thorough study. The problem is that from a hospital perspective, it's not enough to just say that we can reduce anxiety for your patients, important as that is, because most hospitals won't equate that to a year-on-year -year cost saving even though we know from other research that reducing anxiety generally improves clinical outcomes. It's still not enough to make that business case to hospitals. At the moment, we're doing a couple of studies. One is looking at whether children who are using Exploro move less when they go for an MRI scan because they're prepared for that procedure and therefore less anxious about it. Now, if they move less, that means that the procedure doesn't have to be repeated because if you move when you're having an MRI scan, you have to start the whole thing again. So we're looking at whether children using Explorer move less. That can be equated to a cost saving. In another study, we're looking at whether children who have access to Explorer require less pre-procedural sedation. And again, if we can demonstrate that, we can equate that to a cost saving. So those are both really important pieces for us because they advance that research from the powerful but economically not very compelling research that says we reduce anxiety into something that is economically compelling because it can show that that reduction in anxiety then leads to cost savings through procedural efficiency. And how are hospitals responding to you? It's really well received by hospitals. I mean, the people on the ground in the hospital who usually get what we're doing because it really augments what they do, are the child life specialists. So they're the first people within a hospital to say, hey, Exploro is really going to help our children here. 
clinical teams really understand it. The, the, obviously, the barrier is once you start getting to procurement departments and understanding where the money is going to come from and what the business case is going to be and all that sort of stuff. But the healthcare professionals on the ground, the doctors, the nurses, the child life specialists, they all absolutely get what we're doing and see the value in it. We have experienced some resistance from some healthcare professionals thinking that in some way we're trying to replace what they're doing. We're absolutely not trying to do that. We're trying to augment what they're doing. I think it's a reality that no matter how well resourced the hospital is, they can't see every patient all of the time. And especially they can't always see a patient at a time of need because there are way more patients than there are healthcare professionals. Uh, and so Explora, whilst it can never replace the fantastic work that those healthcare professionals do, it can augment it and it can fill in the gaps. Part of the power of Explora is that the most important time to reduce anxiety for young patients is before they come to a hospital. Because if you wait until the point at which they walk through those hospital doors before you start trying to reduce their anxiety, then you've got a much, much harder battle. We argue that the best time for a child to access Explorer for the first time is the point at which they first hear that they're going to a hospital. Now, that might be weeks before they actually go through the hospital doors. At that point, whilst they're in the home, the child life specialists, the social workers, the other members of the healthcare team aren't available. They're not around to help reduce anxiety in those children, prepare them for what's going to happen. They come into play once the child goes through the hospital doors and is maybe in the waiting room or going through the procedure. Where Explorer has massive benefit is in tackling that anxiety at the point where it starts to emerge. And if we can do that, then we can potentially have a child coming into hospital who already understands what's going to happen, is already comfortable about what's going to happen, and is feeling much more relaxed about the process. They may still well, they may well still have a degree of fear and uncertainty, but they're much more receptive to the treatment that's going to be administered. Yeah. And if there was research that could be done to show the importance of one's mindset when they're getting treated for something, or just in general, your minds, and we already know stress causes problems. So there has been some research that has shown that the best time to give patients preparatory information for procedures is greater than seven days before the procedure. That's interesting. That's definitely not how at least the American healthcare system works. Oh, that's not unique to the American healthcare. The, U the UK healthcare system is the same. And they have something called prehab, which is a, a form of that in, in a sense that like if you're going to go get a knee replacement that you get some physical therapy, let's say, before, but that's not common practice. Yeah, and, and, and that's been virtually non-existent during the pandemic as well because those opportunities, at, at least when my daughter was going through treatment, she was in some cases able to go into the hospital prior to the treatment and see what was going to happen. Uh, in the pandemic, those kind of things just haven't been possible. Sure. So having an app would have solved that. <laughs> yeah. That problem. Yeah. How did you come up with a name? 
it was a very, very long process. So our working title when we were first developing the app was awful. And we knew it was awful. We, it was called Patient's Virtual Guide. Uh, we then brainstormed literally hundreds of names and tested them with children. We got it down to about a short list of about 20 that we were happy with. One of the names on that list was Exploro, and that came out to be the most popular. But the derivation of the name Exploro, it relates to how we want children to use the app. When I think about my daughter's experience, her experience was that she was, although you know the, the healthcare information available for her was 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 not good, what there was kind of given to her in a barrage of information that she wasn't necessarily at an appropriate time. So I think at the point of diagnosis, she was given a thick wad of leaflets, and some of which were aimed at adults, some of which were aimed at children. And the whole point of Exploro is that we want the child to explore at their own pace and to find information as and when they want it. And if they decide that they want to just customize an avatar or play a, a very simple game, they can do that. But if they want to go off and find out what an MRI scan is, or if they want to find out what causes cancer, they can also do that. But it's very much at the child's own pace and governed by their own world. That's why we call it Explorer. You're an inventor. You were inspired by your daughter to do something that is now in the world that never could have been done had you not had your horrible experience. And so I just want to bring it back to the idea of if money were not even an object, if we weren't even talking about selling an object or a company or an idea, if it were just purely your vision of, of the future and using this app for children, how do you see it playing out? Our long-term goal is to be a health information platform for any patient with any condition of any age anywhere in the world. Because we're talking about the information needs of children being underserved, but actually the information needs of adults are also underserved. Uh, and funnily enough, I've spoken to, to, to plenty of physicians who have found themselves as patients for the first time. And it's an eye-opening experience for them. Uh, and they go into hospital as a patient and they realize that actually their information needs are not being properly served. Uh, so when I think about the longer term future for Exploro, we've started with children with cancer for very obvious reasons that we've been talking about so far. But actually, uh, through the process of developing an app or an intervention that, that is very firmly rooted in my daughter's experience, I've become much, much more interested in the experience of all patients going into hospital and their information needs. So we do plan to release an adult version. It won't be this year. It will be at some point in 2023 or 2024. Uh, to get to that point of any condition, we're even now, we're currently developing content for new disease areas like diabetes, respiratory, and so on. So basically, you're trying to empower people to with information and just use information along with the medical treatment to just make that medical treatment that much more effective. Yeah, and central to that empowerment is, A, it's about putting the patient in control, and B, it's about 
and it's gamification is a is an overused word but it's about using entertaining interactions to enable the patient to engage with that content in a way that is actually far superior that's probably the wrong word to use but it's very different to reading a leaflet or a web page it's much more engaging right more integrative and it uses a different part of the brain and it just communicates to many different learning styles and i would use the word play as a mechanism to do all the things that you're suggesting we call that stealth learning because through play you're learning about what's going to happen but you're not consciously learning it's not like reading a textbook when i think about what we're trying to do with explorero we're trying to improve the health literacy of children and by improving the health literacy of children we're hoping to build a generation of patients better able to self manage their healthcare in the future is there anything that you'd like me to ask you that i haven't asked you <laughs> you could ask me what the immediate things in our pipeline are and i can tell you a little bit about some of the things we're going to do over the course of the next year okay what are some of the things in your pipeline <laughs> <laughs> At the top of this call I've just returned from a trip to the states that was very exciting because one of the hospitals that we visited we we're, we're actually working on a big co-development project to develop some new content around sedation which will be really important sedation is a a difficult thing to go through Can you tell the audience what is sedation and a little bit more about that sedation is the administering of uh, drugs that effectively uh put you into a state where you don't feel pain but that's that's very often administered through an iv it's very disorientating and we're developing some content to help children understand what happens throughout that process so that's really exciting we talked about siblings earlier we're actively looking to develop content for siblings and some of that content will be one of the things you can do in explorer at the moment is see your avatar in augmented reality when we develop our new siblings content you'll be able to see your brothers and sisters avatars in augmented reality and share virtual hugs with them share emojis that sort of thing you'll be able to share calendars so that you always know what your brothers and sisters are up to that's a development that I'm really excited about because it takes us from being an application for just the sick child into a, a holistic application that that serves the needs of the whole family and this would all be included in the app or in the device yeah, the so, capabilities so essentially what happens when a hospital gives a parent an access code to explorer they have one code and that's intended to be used by the child going through treatment and the plan is that when a hospital gives the parent an access code they will receive codes for all of their children and then that means that each child can have their own instance of explorer and because the parent has or, or okayed each of these children to have explorer we can then enable communication between each of those instances of explorer we can't enable that in between one child and a, a, the child of another family because of security and child protection issues but within a family we can enable that communication and because we can enable that that means we can do fun things like letting avatars meet in augmented reality and and that sort of things 
That reminds me of something else that you forgot to mention, the idea that these kids can put emojis down too that will show their psychological or mental status. And then the parents and even doctors can also see the emotional state of these children and the linkage to Epic. Is that correct? Not just Epic, but any electronic health record system. So the doctors and nurses are in the loop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With the parents and the children. That's another brilliant, so many things you've thought of everything. I wonder, is that it? Did, did, I don't want to cut you off. Anything else that's in the works? There are a lot of other things in the works. We're doing some really exciting things with augmented reality. One of the things that we're in the very early stages of developing is the ability for a child to decorate the room they're in virtually. We're in early stages with that, so I'm not going to I'm not going to say any more about that, but it's uh, there's some exciting stuff going on there. Where do people go to find out more information or to follow you uh, to see what other things are coming up? So uh, our website is a good first place to go. It's desperately in need of an update. Our focus has been on developing the application rather than keeping our website up to date, I'm afraid. A rebuild of the website is in the pipeline. But our website's a good first place to go. There's a contact form on the website. Uh, if anyone has any inquiries about Explorer, they can fill out the contact form. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm very happy to connect with people on LinkedIn and answer any questions they might have. So website or LinkedIn. I just want to thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us about your company, about your daughter, about your family, about your thoughts, about how we can improve healthcare and how you were so inspired by your daughter and how a silver lining like this can happen. I wish you the best of luck that all your ideas get out there in the world because it's you. just, thank it's you. all good. It's all positive. Yeah, I think if I was going to say one last thing as well is that my journey is by no means unique. And in in doing this, I have met so many parents who have been through, not necessarily a cancer treatment with their children, but they've been through uh, a protracted, serious illness with one of their children. I've met so many parents who have done what I've done, basically, which is reflect on that experience and then thought, how can I use my professional skills to do something that improves that experience for other children? Now, in my case, my professional skills are in design and software development, but I've met parents who use those skills to do something that improves that experience for other children, whether it be amazing fundraising or creating picture books or whatever it might be. What I'm doing is, is my own expression, but I'm by no means unique on that journey. There are lots and lots of parents doing amazing things. I'll shout out to all you parents out there who have created new things to improve the world for the next generation or for the next people coming up and Feel free to contact me at Wisdom Shared uh, if you want to tell your story. Thanks so much again, Dom, for coming here and sharing. Uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks. An exciting new development occurred since the conversation with Dom. In the next few weeks, existing stock of Exploro will be transferred to Exploro's United States parent company, which will then own the UK company. The official name for this transaction is called a Delaware Flip, and Exploro will be recruiting sales, operations, and marketing roles to this United States parent company in the fall. For more information about Exploro, 
please go to the show notes for all links. Thank you so much for listening to Wisdom Shared. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to check out all the other episodes. Go to carolblueweiss.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you're hearing on Wisdom Shared, please spread the word and share this podcast with your friends. Leave a review and subscribe so you can receive wisdom every month. Thanks for listening.